2: real noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You done with your Oreo? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> done with my Oreo.
1: Okay, good. Um you really know what he, happened? He, the brother did. The brother, that's what I thought too! I mean, that seems like kind of obvious. Hey, do you Does want to talk about it? death?
0: Yeah, I mean,
1: I... murdering, thingy, 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 Round two. Act two. Second go around.
0: If you Second have times been the
1: charm.
2: following us on social media, you will know that
1: you put it on Twitter. Did you put it on the Instagram? Yes. Okay. I did you're a social media manager, so I rely on you,
0: and you um, do a great job. To I, do in m- times like I'm these, I'm trying. I'm trying. In trying times social like media these.
2: has. I look at social media very differently now than I used to, and I don't like it as much as I used to. I, I think don't that's know. a lot of people. I'm just. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, anywho, we were having some technical difficulties last <clears throat> night. Um, Excuse us. We couldn't play back the plow it was at just. All. It
1: was just gone.
2: We're like, okay, like, yay, go team. like, And then Mario it- tried to, like, test it and play it back, and nothing happened. It was terrible. This has
1: happened to us once before, and it sucks, so we're recording this on both our phones right now. hey Yeah, that's because that's how techie we are. <laughs> Welcome to Mystery Murdery Thingy, by the way. My
2: name is. Chloe. My
1: name is Mario.
2: I didn't pause that long. Dramatic pause.
1: Dramatic pause. Dramatic
2: pause. <laughs> and let's get okay. Right let's get to it. it. Let's
1: get to it. I'll go first, like I did yesterday, or you can go first.
2: This is. The, I don't care. Excuse me. What? We are pretending that this is the first time. We've oh,
1: ever I'm so recorded. sorry. We're not supposed to talk about how this is the second time we're doing it the whole time. No. Oh, sorry, sorry. I'll go first, just like it's the first time. <laughs> Okay, so my my mystery for this week is uh is a thingy and it's um a mysterious radioactive cloud. Um just super super weird. Um so okay, so on October 2nd of 2017, scientists at one of the so-called Ring of 5 detecting stations <laughs> That were <laughs> so what, what?
2: The Ring of Five. The that Ring of seems Five seems very like
1: ring of Yeah, I it, work
2: for the Ring of Five, and they have a I ring know,
1: right? it. It it seems very shady. They're they're trying to detect uh, nuclear uh, particles in the air, you know, in case something happens. And the, it was set up in like the mid eighties, so like it was in the time where you know, <laughs> shit was very much in you know people's consciousness still. Um, so yeah, they, um, started out with five countries, but it's like 22 now. So it's like mostly in, in Europe. Um, and what the scientists in, in the labs in like Italy and Switzerland, I think were kind of the first ones that saw it, um, was a a spike in the radioactive isotope, um, ruthenium 106 ruthenium 106
2: oh she's my favorite greek goddess
1: <laughs> ruthenium <laughs> she sounds so majestic Ooh, look at her ruthenium um and this was very unusual to get a, a spike in only ruthenium 106 um and uh because you you know that they, they had detected things in the past um and not even like you know decades before this you know when a, an accident had happened or something at a nuclear facilities but to see ruthenium 106 by itself was very unusual
2: is ruthenium an element in the periodic table
1: yes ruthenium is an element it's a radioactive element in the isotope that it's in of 106 which, which is called a nuclide but um, um, other isotopes of it are not radioactive
2: okay I, I kind don't of get know it. why
1: chemistry I
2: hated chemistry and the only reason i got through chemistry is because i had a good teacher
1: i I had good chemistry teachers too
2: chemistry gives me nightmares and chills yeah makes my back hurt
1: (laughs) i was never that very good at it either i took the chemistry of art and artifacts in college in you know i didn't
2: take chemistry nothing it was pretty good um anyway chemistry
1: nothing Um, so, the, um, yeah, they detected these, um, traces of ruthenium-106. Now, I should say that that it was harmless when they were detecting it. It was, like, at such low concentrations that it didn't pose harm to anyone or the environment.
2: Okay, so it wasn't, like, this big thundercloud, like, raining cancer.
1: No, no. You couldn't necessarily see the cloud, (laughs) And it extended over, like, the whole of Europe, essentially. Because it's, say, so,
2: in, like, a molecule. Right, because it's just these trace, trace elements. like, if you had to visualize it, right. it would be a cloud. Right.
1: It's it's a cloud in, in sort of a loose way, you know? Yes. Um, it's a metaphor. So to speak. <laughs> but it's, yeah, it's these trace p- particles of ruthenium-106, but enough that, you know, it, it causes these spikes. But, yeah, it's, it's like, uh, uh, distilled over this huge area as well.
2: So should we be scared?
1: Um, no. But but some people should, but we don't know where. <gasps> and that's the main kind of, like, mystery. So the early detections, like I said, from places like Switzerland and, and Italy and Romania were um, eventually confirmed by um, almost all the countries in Europe, except for the ones in Northern Europe. They were the only ones that didn't detect it. <gasps> Russia. Um, and there were even tiny trace amounts Uh, found as far away as Mongolia, Kuwait, and Florida, in, like, tiny, tiny traces.
2: Oh, my God.
1: You know, because this stuff gets into the atmosphere, and it it just, you know, goes and goes and goes right around the Earth. Um, I mean, in, you know, in a massive, you know, like Chernobyl, right? Chernobyl, the particles went all around the Earth. You know, it surrounded the Earth. Um, just, like, with some of the bigger, you know, nuclear weapons tests, you know, back in the day, when they didn't even really understand or know what the implications of that would be, which is fucking nuts.
2: Did we know the implications?
1: No, no. I mean, no one really did when well, they first didn't tested did Einstein these know it?
2: He was like, guys, we shouldn't do this. Mm, That's what some people say.
1: <laughs> I don't really know the whole history of that too much. I know some people that, you know, worked on the atom bomb for America and stuff did end up turning against it and, like, being big advocates on the other side, but I'm not sure Einstein's history per se. But anyway, um, the, yeah, so it, 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 but the highest levels were eventually detected in Romania, but this cloud swept across basically all of Europe from October, uh, until October 12th. So after that, they, they didn't really detect anything in Europe. So understandably, even though it was like basically not you know, an imminent threat, the radioactive cloud did generate some freak out, right, <laughs> amongst like people and scientists and like
0: what is this? <laughs>
1: I'm sure you can understand like people seeing this like radioactive cloud in, in the newspapers, like, oh shit, like what's going on? Um, and their unease increased as time went by and no one admitted to having experienced, you know, any nuclear incident, right? Okay. That could have explained this mysterious cloud of ruthenium. Okay. And the first major investigative report that I heard about in my research was from a, a French organization, and it ind- indicated that the ruthenium-106, and, and kind of confirmed this, was very purely the only um, nuclide that was detected. And the absence of other radioactive elements immediately told them that this release had nothing to do with either nuclear weapons or a nuclear reactor.
0: Okay, because that's good.
1: Which, which is obviously good, right? Because um, then those, those are like the that big... That means
2: someone's big... making weapons, like, if it was other way around.
1: Yeah. Um, or, yeah, um, a big, like, meltdown, like Fukushima or something, you know? Um, so uh, th- this is because, you know, the, the purity kind of tells them this, because those kind of events um, produce a panoply of particles, right? But the cloud hanging over Europe in the early autumn of 2017 was very pure Ruthenium-106. Super pure. <laughs> so, mysterious uh, mystery... Ooh, mystery also surrounded the ultimate geographical source of this radioactive release, like I said. Um, the highest concentrations were over Romania, but it the shape of the cloud, the fact that it covered the whole country of Romania, essentially, when it was first detected precluded it originating in the country of Romania, so we, we know that it, it's not from there. You
2: said because the highest like, concentrations that's were That's where over the highest there?
1: concentrations that were reported. Um, analyses at the time and since, and kind of you know weather patterns and where they were found in the different concentrations, have always kind of pointed to probably Russia. And this particular part of Russia um, that's near the border with Kazakhstan.
2: I'm not surprised.
1: Um, so, yeah. <laughs> For so many things, like was it Russia? Was it? I know
2: mm-hmm.
1: it's very zeitgeisty. How many of
2: our mysteries is the answer is Russia? I know.
1: Right. It <laughs> was like episode two or something. With B- Boris Nensov. <laughs> anyway, um, the first denials from Russia came on October 9th of twenty seventeen, before the last of the detections that had even occurred um, from the regional authorities of Chelyabinsk and Sverd- Sverdlovsk. God, I've heard so many times. Who ruled out the possibility of a Ruthenium-106 release from their area.
0: Certainly MS. not
1: from their area. So, um, this was, although, um, however, uh, kind of, you know, problematized when on November 21st of 2017, the Russian Federal Service for Hydrometeorology and Environmental Monitoring very official, reported that it had detected heightened levels of ruthenium-106 in the southern Urals in late September 2017. Mm. Yes. Nevertheless, on December 8th of 2017, the federal Russian authorities reiterated that they did not believe the radioactive source was in Russia, and especially not, particularly not, Specifically, not in the Mayak nuclear recycling facility. That's the what? one it could not ever have come. They from. They just
2: like name dropped that.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> For some That's reason. suspicious
2: as hell. <laughs> By the way, it is not a the recycling fishy. facility. Right, it's not so, so look away.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's called something else, like officially, but that's what I think that is. But uh, anyway, they suggested trying to be helpful of course yeah. <laughs> that the source of the ruthenium 106 may have been the release from the battery of a downed burned up satellite oh. w- which would include radioactive ruthenium 106 in its uh, battery as a power source but for several reasons it's very 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 unlikely that that um would be the case um but part of this is because um detailed analysis, right, of the different concentrations show that whereas if it were coming from a satellite, you'd expect it to be, like, higher concentrations at a higher altitude, right? And then as it kind of filters okay, down, okay. getting less concentrated. Whereas that's exactly the opposite of what we see from this cloud of Ruthenium 106. The concentrations are lower at higher altitudes.
2: Oh, so that's how they know it's coming from the ground.
1: Seems to be coming from a source closer to the ground, yeah. So... um And despite extensive searching and checking with multiple space agencies, it could not be established that any satellite had actually gone down during that time. So, where's the satellite that supposedly caused this Cloud of Ruthenium-106? In January and April of 2018, there were two separate inquiries that were convened at Russia's request, um, and they included scientists from Germany, France, Sweden the uk and russia itself
2: a science meeting
1: right a a meeting of the science minds one might say (laughs) um they get really
2: drunk after (laughs) this is the
1: nerdy table but you know that at when you have like a group of scientists there's there's like the nerdy table of the nerdy table and then there's the cool table of the nerdy table you know it bifurcates i'd be uh, at the nerdy one
2: the hydro the hydro meteorologist he's like he's like top
1: Top bitch. <laughs> <laughs> he's, the, he's the cool one. Um, and they were, of course, trying to determine what had caused this radioactive cloud and where it began. And they mm-hmm. concluded by helpfully stating, well, not so helpfully stating, <laughs> that, uh, you know what's coming, that not enough data was available mm-hmm. to make a solid hypothesis.
2: I guess.
1: So that uh, was their um, conclusion, so to speak. Some of the experts and officials that were kind of quoted in my sources and that I, I read about their views seemed to kind of throw up their hands at this point, right? Kind of essentially saying that they would have to wait for whichever country it was, you know, whichever one it might be back. to fess up to who had had some kind of nuclear incident that caused this because that, that has to be what it was. And um, others, though, kept looking into it, okay, and trying to come up with more, particularly what may have happened. And they think they have a pretty good idea of what exactly did actually happen. And this mostly comes from a, a, a recent study, uh, a recently published study in the the uh, uh, Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences for the United States, um, edited by John Seinfeld. But it's like a bunch of authors. You know, it's always the way it is. Like yeah, fifty authors,
2: which is weird (laughs) they all worked on
1: it so i guess that they all deserve credit um they believe that they've ruled out most other possible causes um and a couple of the other ones they've ruled out are the melting of a radioactive source like a um certain dental and ophthalmic um uh, equipment uses radioactive elements. What, like,
2: wait, like dentures
1: and shit? Well, I mean, think about it. You go to the dentist, right, and they take X rays oh, of they your. they
2: Yeah, they, they always have to tell you the X rays. They always tell you to close your eyes because it's right. like super bright.
1: It's radioactive. Has to be radioactive elements in, involved, right? Um, oh. When those are melted, they can cause a release of, 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 of a radioactive leak, essentially uh, an oh. incident. Um, That's going to happen. And this is—it's ha- happened before. Um it's happen again. <laughs> it could definitely happen again um however the two- 2017 incident right was too large really to be explained by by this um that large scale of a melting of these devices like wouldn't go unnoticed so okay. we really couldn't have been okay there.
2: i really didn't understand i didn't really know what you meant by yeah
1: you, it just doesn't you. explain the scale of yeah you know the cloud that we see or saw so um also, the satellite re-entry hypothesis was, um, further kind of discredited by the fact that the uh, Ruthenium 106 has a very short half-life of only one and a half to two years. So if a satellite had been in orbit for more than a ha- one and a half to two years, there wouldn't even be any Ruthenium 106 left.
2: Oh, okay. And
1: there wouldn't be enough to, again, explain this huge cloud of Ruthenium 106, um, and they think they have a pretty good idea of where it it did, act- like, particularly come from. So they're fairly convinced that the release was from a mishap at the aforementioned wow. Mayak Industrial Complex wow. that we all know and love. Apparently they've had other issues, if I recall correctly from my research. Um, some incidents in the past. Oh, I think so three like- <gasps> in the oh, past. Shit. Maybe two or three. Why
2: didn't they speak up?
1: Yeah. Were they embarrassed? So, uh... uh um
2: <laughs> So it was
1: statist-
2: it was statistically likely for it to be them anyway, right? Well, well, you know, Is that
1: how I, that works? I'd, uh well maybe. Um probably. So uh, yeah, there there was um a um or rather from, from the pattern and everything, they suggest that between the evening of September twenty fifth and noon on September twenty sixth the cloud of ruthenium 106 may have originated at the Mayak facility. That seemed to be where it was coming from, just from looking where the cloud was, where on different days and how it moved she and all that him. kind of stuff. And um, this could possibly have been that they were, you know, unintentionally, right, of course, produced this ruthenium 106 while they were creating this isotope cerium 144 which would be used for a neutrino experiment at the Gran Sasso National Laboratory in Italy which um uh, just a, uh, just a, a little again, bit of I background don't remember. right it's so it's not
2: like an energy drink no. or a diet plan no okay
1: no but it's funny you say that or it has it has energy because it is a particle it's not a pill and uh, <laughs> it uh, it interacts very very loosely with anything else it's it's a ghost particle essentially. There's billions and billions of them pouring through our bodies right now, and we have no idea.
0: Well, because it we interacts, now, so now. All of us now know. Now
1: you're aware, and you'll have a little tickle in your head every time Feel you it. think about it. Um, neutrinos all around. We're bathed in neutrinos. It's weird. Um, it's a mystery, actually. Um, but (laughs) anyway, to get back to what I'm talking about, um, if I can find my place. So the, the spent nuclear fuel, which they would have been using, right, to isolate this cerium 144 um, to use in the, the, that experiment in Italy also contains Ruthenium-106 and could have been released from the spent fuel while they were like waiting to refine it or whatever. Why were they
2: making what were they making they like were making molecule? the the
1: cerium-144 radioactive isotope in order to create a you know a beam of particles to be used in the grand Sasso experiment with neutrinos that makes sense right i just did that make sense
2: Was it's that a weird sentence? that people are like doing stuff on a molecular scale to me like that's wild
1: oh yeah yeah um I mean I I definitely want to do another episode about you know particles and do
2: you quantum like physics and
1: Mario? well yeah you know um I do I actually. feel like
2: quantum physics mystery should be an extra
1: Yeah um okay so anyways <laughs> the, uh, um furthermore the researchers at the Grand Sasso National Laboratory when they they talked to the press Um, said that they were notified that there was an issue at the Mayak facility when they were trying to produce the cerium 144 and it was never delivered. The experiment never happened. Now, they don't know if, you know, that was what happened, that they released this Ruthenium-106, and that's what went wrong, but they know something went wrong.
2: Oh, so we still don't even know the core, like problem like- no
1: we really don't I mean that's really the, with the one of the cent- the two central mysteries here right what happened and where did it happen yeah. we just know there was this cloud <laughs> we, we don't know what produced it Really, that's
0: but they've been able to
1: deduce that it it was something like this, where there was some kind of refining process or the, you know, the uh, recycling of spent fuel. That's probably where it came from, and probably in Russia, near the border with Kazakhstan. Probably, probably, allegedly. I'm not making any specific accusations. (laughs) Didn't I say that on a recent episode? (laughs) Um, I feel like that's a good. uh... So this is a very tidy story. And it's very plausible, but again, we don't know. (laughs) Another possible source um, that I read about in my research um, was the um, Research Institute of Atomic Reactors in Dimitrovgrad, Russia, about 90 miles north of the Mayak facility.
2: Wow.
1: Apparently, there are quite a few nuclear facilities in this part of Russia.
2: I was like, I can't believe these places even exist. Yeah,
1: there's, there's, there's several. But unless russia suddenly changes their tune, tune. their tune and uh, and uh you know which hey putin has done that in the past right oh no we we didn't go we didn't uh, go into crimea oh and then a few weeks later it's like yeah we did we went into crimea Why? he's done shit like that before
2: what what is the psychology behind people like vladimir putin
1: Oh, my God. what goes on in his head? That's such a big (laughs) discussion. (laughs) That's a mystery. That is quite a mystery. So, we'll probably never know for sure what actually did happen, unless somebody, again, comes forward and, you know, lets us know um, the wider world. Um, But the last statement that was sent from Rosatom, the the Russian Nuclear Energy Corporation, to the Washington Post for their July 30th story, uh, recent story, was, quote, We maintain that there have been no reportable events at any Rosatom-operated plants or facilities. Close quote.
2: Okay.
1: Nothing to see here. Um, So we'll give Rosatom the last uh, word on that one. (laughs) And uh, we'll see if there's any more to come in the future. (laughs) So, uh, my sources were Rick Nowak at Washington Post, uh, Jamie Ducharme at Time, Jeff Brumfield at KPBS and uh, the uh, National NPR, uh, Eric Mack at Forbes, Josh Davis at IFL Science, Alan Cowell at The New York Times, CBC Radio, Umer Irfan at Vox, Emily Conover at Science News, Peter Dockrill at Science Alert, and that study that I mentioned earlier, which uh, sort of pared down title of it is Airborne Concentrations of Radioactive Ruthenium 2017.
2: Is that the one that got super specific, you said?
1: Very, very specific. And I, d- I read the beginning of it, I read the abstract, I did not read the whole thing by any means. It is super long. <laughs> um, and very technical. Um, but yeah, it's in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, and it was edited by John Seinfeld from Caltech.
2: Seinfeld...
1: True no relation, I assume
2: I wonder what people with the last name Seinfeld have to deal with every day <laughs>
1: right Duh. So you're funny, right? like the like Jerry, are you related? and they all have to be like, no, why why would I be? <laughs> Wouldn't I have told you
2: a terrible
1: <laughs> terrible
2: show about white people
1: Oh okay well.
2: moving on to Wait, were you
1: talking about friends?
2: Shut up! I mean, that's true though. I mean, you're not that off.
1: I don't like Friends. It's fine.
2: The other reason many people still have Netflix is because of Friends. But
1: but it's isn't it leaving? Yeah, I heard that.
2: Yeah, people are not happy. Um, anyway, I have a history mystery for number eighty-two today. Um, <laughs> it's so. Uh, it is. The Mystery of the Miniature Coffins. Ooh. Ah. Uh, yes, they yeah. Yes, and, Mario. Yes, and. Ooh. Um. So, our story starts with the discovery of these coffins in Scotland on the northeast slopes of what's called Arthur's Seat. So... It's a volcanic hill that lies beyond Edinburgh's old town. So Edinburgh has an old town. I think it's Edinburgh. Is it Edinburgh? I think so. Shit. Edinburgh? <laughs> I thought I'd
1: tell you this time. Sorry, we're not supposed to talk about it.
2: Edinburgh? Well, I, I don't so. want to say edit the wrong thing all, the whole time.
1: Well, we'll just address it just for a moment. We understand it may or may not be Edinburgh, but Chloe's going to say it Edinburgh.
2: No, I'm going to say Edinburgh.
1: Okay. <laughs> it sounds better. Pick a lane. So Edinburgh <laughs> okay, go had on.
2: Old t- an old town and a new town. And so the place itself, Old Town, is like, it's pretty shrouded in mystery. It, um,
0: uh,
2: It's the possible site for uh, Camelot, uh, King Arthur's Fable. Oh, Lord. And it is said to be the home of the Votadini, which are a... Celtic tribe from the Iron Age, so like 400 AD um, in Great Britain. So there was an article from the London Times uh, that came out at the time that really described it best. It was written by a Charles Fort. When did it
1: come out? In uh,
2: 1836. Okay. It was written by a Charles Fort, who is a writer and a researcher who specialized in, quote, anom- anomalous phenomena.
1: Anomalous phenomena. It's fun to say.
2: It just means I look at weird things. <laughs> <laughs> if you've got something weird, come to me. I'm an oddities I'm, man. An, I'm a researcher, an expert.
1: Right. That's like how back then you could just be like a naturalist. You just like walked in nature and then suddenly you were like a scientist.
2: <laughs> what? I don't know what a naturalist is. We're not going to talk about that. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. So the London Times, July 20th, 1836. Quote, that early in the morning in july 1836 some boys were searching for rabbit's burrows in the rocky formation near edinburgh known as arthur's seat in the side of a cliff they came upon some thin sheets of slate which they pulled out little cave 17 tiny coffins three or four inches long in the coffins were miniature wooden figures they were dressed differently in both style and material there were two tiers of eight coffins each and a third one begun with one coffin. The extraordinary datum which has especially made mystery here that the coffins had been deposited singly in the little cave and at intervals of many years. in the first tier, the coffins were quite decayed, and the wrappings had mouldered away in the second tier, the effects of age had not advanced so far, and the top top coffin was quite recent looking end quote So yes. Kind of creepy. Some boys who were running around near Arthur's seat uh, happened to come across these weird mystic coffins. And so there were 17, and of the 17, eight survive today. The Scotsman, a um, newspaper at the time as well, uh, they published one of the first accounts of the discovery, and they reported that, quote, a number were destroyed by the boys pelting them at, at each other as unmeaning and contemptible trifles, And quote. <laughs> Mario's like, god damn it.
0: <laughs> you goddamn kids!
2: Um, so yeah, there was a, lots of media about it, there was a good amount of buzz, um, but after that, they were passed down by a series of private collectors, so... Robert Fraser, a jeweler, a jeweler put them on display in his private museum. In oh. a <laughs> private museum. Well, bully for you. And he retired in 1845, and then they were auctioned off. But we don't know where they. There's no record of where they were auctioned off to, and um, they popped back up again in 1901 when with a set of eight. Um, together with their contents, were donated to the Na- National Museum of Scotland. And that's where I got a lot of my um, information. The dolls are there. Um, yeah, you can see them. Uh, by their then owner, Christina Cooper of Dumfriesshire. In 1906, the Scotsman again published a story about the coffin. So this is kind of a weird story, but we'll take it. <laughs> Take this as you okay, will. Yeah,
1: because last time I didn't quite get the story. Okay, so I'll try to. I'll maybe try, try to, to, explain to like, it. yeah, explain it a little bit.
2: So it was. It was published by the Scotsman. They were like, "Oh, like we were reported. Here's like a report that was given. Was given. Okay, a possible explanation for what these these copies. It's just are. hearsay. Yes, but it's kind of creepy. It's a good story, I think. So basically, there's this lady in Edinburgh, right? And uh, she's telling the story of her father, who they called Mr. B. And Mr. B would often be visited by, quote, a daft man, end quote, at his business. So daft means, like, foolish. Sure. Um, One day, the man comes in to uh, Mr. B's shop and shows him that he had drawn a piece of paper, and on that piece of paper there was a he had drawn a picture of three small coffins with the dates 1837, 1838, and 1840, written underneath. Turns out a relative of Mr. B's died in 1837, a cousin of, a cousin of his died in eighteen thirty eight, and his brother then died in eighteen forty. Um, and after he he received that that little notation, the man never returned. Ooh. Never
1: to be seen again.
2: The Scotsman article, you know, they tell the story and they wonder if this is, if this mysterious man was the maker of the coffins and mm-hmm. that maybe he was, quote, driven mad by the loss of his treasures, end quote. Or maybe it was just a coincidence, hearsay, a story. We don't know. It's a mystery. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, so we kind of touched on this before, but it's difficult to say with complete certainty when the coffins were made. Um, the, the range that I kind of got was sometime between, like the earliest would be 1790 and the latest would be the eight, like 1830. Mm-hmm. So um, note that the discovery, yes, yeah, so note that the discovery was made by a group of boys who probably mixed them up by hurling them at each other. Um, And it wasn't some like trained archaeologist, right? Who's like examining each particle. Um, So it's it's you have it's they're they're difficult to study because of that. There's a lot of factors. Right. Um, Several of the surviving coffins are also in more decay than others. So uh, some of the figurines, uh, the clothes that they're wearing, the grave clothes, are in a rotten state, or they they're not there at all. Um, but whether the decay was the product of time or simply weather is not now possible to say. So, um, the more decayed coffins that were towards the bottom. So, uh, it's possible that because they were lowered to the ground in, in that nook, um, it's possible they were maybe exposed to water damage. So that's something they had to take in as well. Um, It wasn't until the 90s when uh, these two guys, Professor Samuel Menafree and Dr. Alan Simpson, who Dr. Alan Simpson is the curator of the National Museum of Scotland, and they looked at the coffins um, and the little figures inside them with a lot more detail. So uh, the figures will this is this is what they discovered. The figures all appear to be made by the same hand, although it is possible that the coffins were created by two different people. Some of the material and tools used, uh, wood, iron embellishments, I think they used those for, like, the eyes, um, nails, uh, a sharp hooked knife, uh, these, these tools kind of indicate the coffins could have been made by a shoemaker, which, Kind of makes sense, because shoemakers would have had the manual skills to make coffins like this, but they would have lacked the the like the special carpentry tools um, needed to make something at this um, length precise. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the figures seem to form a set, all eight of them, and uh, their upright bearing flat feet and swinging arms suggest that they may have been toy soldiers. Uh their eyes are open, making it unlikely that they're originally designed as corpses so then that's if that's the truth, then that makes the coffins hmm. even spookier right yeah um and some of the figures are missing their arms, perhaps perhaps removed so they could they would fit into the coffins. The fabric that they're dressed in dates from the early eighteen thirties, and then they do this whole analysis on like different tri- types of thread and how this one type of thicker thread wasn't made until 18-whatever. And so, mm. and it has that thread, so that, right. I don't know. Um, no, stuff
1: like that is great when it's yeah. like, oh, they didn't use this pigment This until, wasn't like,
2: m- manufactured until blah, blah, blah. Yeah, they yeah. didn't start
1: using screws until this year. So it right. has to be from before then or something.
2: Right. Um, yeah, so that's how they knew it dated from the early 1830s. So that means they had lane Berry there for For more than six years. So then, the next question is, who created them and why? Uh, Why were they created and what do they represent? This um, this is one of those mysteries that reminds me of like Stonehenge, because that's like all the questions you ask about freaking like Stonehenge, Mm -hmm. like who and and why?
1: The Nazca lines.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Um. What are they for? Yeah. So. At first, a lot of people thought witchcraft, right? And this is also, like, prime time Witchcraft! Yeah. The Edinburgh Evening Post claimed that the coffins represented, quote, an ancient custom which prevailed in Saxony of burying in effigy departed friends who had died in a distant land, end quote. Another, um... A newspaper, the Caledonian Mercury, added that quote: "We have also heard of another super, superstition which exists among some sailors in this country that they enjoyed their wives, enjoined their wives on parting to give them a Christian burial in an effigy if they happen to be lost at sea." S- but if this is the case, then why are like they pretty similar? Like it's obvious they're a set, and why are all the coffins similar? You'd think they would be. If many different people were making them for their individual husband, they would look different, different sizes and stuff. Um, And others looked at it as a burial to honor the fallen soldiers. There is another theory by an author, an amateur historian, by the name of Jeff Nisbet. He believes that he knows why they were created. So he believes that the coffins were created as a memorial to a political movement Called the Radical War of eighteen twenty, and uh, those killed supporting it. so quick quick background on the the radical war. Um, it's also known as the Scottish insurrection of eighteen twenty. It was basically like a um, uh, it was like a political movement, but it was pretty chaotic. like there was a series of protests and and lots of strikes. Um, so in Scotland during this time, only one out of every 250 people were elig- eligible to vote, right? So the right to vote wasn't, um, was not a luxury of, of some sorts. Uh, artisans like handloom weavers, shoemakers, um, blacksmiths, goldsmiths, um, and woodworkers demanded reform and a more rep- representative government. So they were going on strike, pissed. Um, in 1812, the wages were cut in half, and then a nine-week strike followed. Furthermore, the Napoleonic... Is that how you say it? Yeah, Napoleonic. Napoleonic Wars brought on economic depression. So there was, in general, there was a lot of unrest during this time, lots of protests for better wages and better working conditions. Um, August of 1819 was when the Peterloo Massacre took place and um that's where a cavalry charged into a crowd of 60 to 80,000 people oh my God. uh who had gathered to demand the reform of parliamentary representation. So mm-hmm. they were just a crowd of protesters. 18 people were killed and several hundreds were injured. So that kind of kicked off and then that next year, um 1820 was when there was all out war. So yeah so that was when the strikes began and it turned to violence. Uh, many poorly paid workers and weavers from the area were arrested, and a lot of those who were arrested were exiled to Australia and uh, some several of the ringleaders uh, were just executed. So following the event, uh, many of those who agreed with the movement were putting were, were put to work building a path that would become known as uh, the Radical Road, and the path is right around Arthur's seat. Um, Nisbet's theory Hmm. is that the reason for the existence of the artifacts was, quote, to keep the flames of rebellion lit, end quote, and to basically honor those who um, were protesters and and rebelled against their government for a better lifestyle and honor those who had um, uh, been killed. Uh, and then there's, um, my favorite theory and everybody's favorite (laughs) theory is the Burke and Hare murders theory. Look at my eyebrows right now. You see that?
1: They are vigorously moving up and down.
2: So these are also, they're not like a straight up mystery, but there are so a lot of questions in here. Like there's, there are some question marks, but here's that theory. So I read a few places that mentioned the Birkenhair coffin murder or the the Birkenhair murders being related to the tiny coffins. There was a couple of them. And I was like, who, what? So let's get into that. In the early 19th century, Edinburgh was really popular and known for medical excellence. So there were lots of medical schools and lots of students heading over there um, specifically to study anatomy. So with more and more students studying anatomy in Edinburgh, uh, and then fewer criminals being hanged because that's where they got the uh, that's where the they got the cadavers uh, from the criminals right. who were uh, killed the supply was no longer meeting the demand so this is where body snatching comes along right um, mm,
1: a favorite pastime of 19th century low lives oh, in yeah. many many different parts everywhere. of the world yeah everywhere, everywhere. <laughs>
2: Um, really creepy.
0: Like, yeah. ew. <laughs> yeah. I feel like it's a lot disturbing. of work.
2: It is disturbing. And, like, completely immoral. Anyway, uh, body snatching. So criminals started digging up bodies in churchyards, right? And selling them to uh, anatomists. Anatomists? Or anatomists?
1: Anatomists.
2: that Anat- I was wrong both times. Anatomists <laughs> for a... Cons- Considerable amount of money, uh, considerable amount of money. So in comes Irish immigrants, William Burke and William Hare. So the murder spree started by quote unquote accident. Um, one of the elderly tenants staying at Hare's porter House died suddenly, and uh the tenant owed uh Hare money, so he goes to his friend Burke and he's like, Hey man, like what should I do? This dude owes me money, and he's like, Oh, like, you do sell the body? Like, hey, we could sell it. So that's what they did. And Burke and Hare sold the uh, man's body to a doctor, Robert Knox, for use in his anatomy school in Surgeon Square. So um, (laughs) they were paid about seven pounds and ten shillings. And I don't know how much that is in American money, especially today's American money. Right. Lots of math.
1: So I was just wondering, like, does does he just have a sign saying, like, we'll buy bodies, no questions asked, or something? Like,
2: no, it's they like don't, a black market. They
1: don't, like, look into where these like, bodies came I from. Heard,
2: I heard Knox will help you out. Like, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> little fishy. <laughs> so a little over two months later when Hare was concerned that a feverish tenant would prevent others from staying in his boarding house, he and Burke murdered her and sold the body again to Knox. And that's when their murder spree escalated. So, and also, most likely with the, almost yes, almost positively yes, with the knowledge of their wives, right? Oh, okay. Um, so they went on to kill 15 more people, yeah, and made 150 pounds, which in today's today's American money kind of is around $14,000. So it was like a pretty solid, right? Uh, Burke and Hare's actions were, you know, obviously caught up to them eventually. They were uncovered when one of the uh, tenants actually discovered... Uh, what wh- who would become their last vic- victim uh a woman by the name of margaret doherty and they they found her body and they were like oh what the fuck and they called the police so mm. uh after examination doctors concluded that she was likely suffocated but it could not be proven um so the two were arrested in november of 1828 however hair was granted This is kind of bullshit, right? So, Hare was granted immunity if he talked. So, he, that's exactly what he did. He straight up confessed to all 17 murders and totally threw Burke under the bus.
1: That's not a good deal. If you're a prosecutor, that's not a good deal. Absolutely Come on. You're just gonna Um, let someone go for 17 murders? I mean, come on. Come on. uh,
2: Formal charges then were made against Burke and his wife, Helen McDougall, uh, for three murders. They couldn't necessarily prove anymore, but um Hare was like, oh yeah, we killed about 17 people. Like, that's fucked up. Anyway, so the case, and this is also kind of bullshit. Not not that I'm saying like, oh, poor Burke, but you know. Um The case against Helen McDougall, his wife, was found not proven, which in, and I learned this, which in Scotland was a, is a legal verdict where you are acquitted, but you're not necessarily innocent. True. Yeah. I think there's an American one, too.
1: Yeah, we, we, I don't remember what it's called, but there's something like that where it's like, we have insufficient evidence to prove the case against you. But we're, we're, so we're just deciding not to proceed. It's like, yeah, it's kind of motion not to proceed or
2: something. Um, and then Burke was sentenced to be ex- executed. So, January 28th, 1829, William Burke was hanged in front of a crowd of thousands of people. Probably they think as many as uh, twenty five thousand people. They were like, That's "Let's get drunk and watch Burke get hanged." Like that was a thing.
1: Nineteenth like century pastimes: watching people be publicly executed. 19... Now there are still a few countries where that happens in oh. the world. There are still a few countries, with That's Saudi Arabia, dark countries like that.
2: That's pretty dark.
1: That's pretty dark.
2: Um, but this was a, a thing. Uh, tenants who lived alone, like, above the square in the, like, apartments with a good view of the scaffold sold their spaces so others could watch. It's wild. It's like selling your parking space when you live next Mm to Wrigley Field. Right. Yeah. Um, Also quite dark. Um, February 1st, Burke's corpse was publicly dissected By Professor Monroe in the anatomy theater of University's Old College, so it's a big fuck you, right? Right. Um, Police. Okay, so this was a actually turned out to be a a big event because police had to be called when a large number of students gathered, um, and they just all they wanted to see was they wanted to see this dissection, but there was only a limited amount of space, only a limited amount of tickets, so a minor riot ensued. That's always fun, right? They solved the problem after one of the u- university professors negotiated and was like, okay, um, everybody... Uh, uh, you guys can pass through in batches of 50, but only after the dissection has ended. So, like, just really the end the end result. Um, the procedure itself lasted two hours. It said that Monroe and... Uh, Take this with a grain of salt. It said that Monroe dipped his quill pen into Burke's blood and wrote, quote, This is written with the blood of W.M. Burke, who was hanged in Edinburgh. This blood was taken from his head, end quote. <laughs> Your face. Great. Well, I was like, Wikipedia, where did you get this? And I, they had the source, um, a book called The Anatomy of Murders by Lisa Rosner. But they also noted that it was one of those books that, like... Had the basic facts correct and the basic storyline, but it was also a little bit flubbed up.
1: Mm, so, a kind of historical fiction, maybe, or
2: not enough, not enough bullshit to be called historical fiction. Okay, um,
1: just kind of sensationalized history. Yes,
2: that's the word. Thank you. So, great story, right? What does that have to do with our miniature coffins? Um, so, although it's difficult. Uh, to tell exactly when the dolls were made uh, and placed in the cove in Arthur's seat. Um, but due to the style of clothing and wear, it said that they were made no later than 1830. And so they have that timeline, right? There were 17 dolls, 17 victims. Uh, the dolls could have been placed there after the murder spree of Burke and Hare as a memorial. So I first read that and I was like, I guess. I didn't really get it. And then um the two who studied the dolls, Professor Menefree and Dr. Simpson wrote I think a re- pretty good a pr- it's a pretty good argument I think. Mm, so
1: persuasive. C-
2: yeah. So quote, that the problem with various theories is their con- concentration on motivation rather than on the event or events that caused the interments. The former will always be open to argument, but if the burials were event-driven by, say, the loss of a ship with 17 fatalities during the period in question, this speculation would at least be built on demonstrable fact. Stated another way, what we seek is an an Edinburgh-related event or events involving 17 deaths, which occurred close to 1830 and certainly before 1836. One obvious answer springs to mind: the Westport murders by William Burke and William Hare in eighteen twenty seven and eighteen twenty eight. So when he like narrowed down the possibilities like that, I was like, okay. So if you like switch it to um a motive like motivation versus um
1: mm-hmm.
2: yeah, no through no, no that, the other way. through
1: that lens it becomes yeah. like versus
2: motivation yeah. to an event mm-hmm. um. They also argue that because the victims were all dissected, maybe the coffins were the coffins were placed there so that they could have a proper burial. Um, and Simpson and Menafree published their findings in 1994, and they've have they've been looked at and elaborated on since. So the Edinburgh Evening News reported in 2005 that George, that a, a George Da Dauglish, uh, principal curator of Scottish history at the National Museum of Scotland believes, "quote the most credible theory is that were made by someone who knew Burke and Hare." End quote. And so, uh, if if it was someone close to them, it's it, perhaps they had a strong um, desire or, or m- motive to to make amends for mm-hmm. you know the crime. A ton. Yes later and then there's um another weird thing that happened i just thought it was worth mentioning in december 2014 the national museum of scotland was delivered a mysterious package that contained a replica of the tiny coffins it was sent with a label titled 18 question mark um but in like roman numerals and it also quoted the chilling climax of robert louis stevenson's short story the body snatcher which was written in 1884 and that story weaves in elements of the broken hair story. Mm. So it's like 18, like, oh, like the 18th coffin or here it is. And may, and I was like, I don't really know what that means. But, I, but what if it was like, oh, like, yeah, like my great-great-grandfather made these coffins and like no one knows about it. And he like taught like... <laughs> my grandfather and my father how to do I don't know. I really I really elaborated it. <laughs>
1: Maybe. Yeah. That's pretty speculative. That's
2: pretty it's a stretch.
1: It's a stretch.
2: So yeah. So, God, a tiny
0: Tiny coffins. Tiny
2: Consumer. Sources are a Smithsonian magazine article by Mike Dash, bergenhair Wikipedia Murders Wikipedia page, Radical War of eighteen twenty Wikipedia page. And there was an article on the National Museum of Scotland webpage. They have a whole like interactive Thing where they have facts about um, the exhibits and stuff. And, yeah, we should take a trip to the National Museum of Scotland. It looks pretty cool.
1: I'd love to go to Edinburgh.
2: Yeah, me too. I hope it's Edinburgh. I think Edinburgh.
1: so. Edinburgh. Pretty sure. The town near where I grew up was Edinburgh. Edinburgh, Texas. 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 Right there on the border.
2: Texas. A Rio valley. Texas.
1: So, um, speaking of Texas, my weird shit shit in the the news, news. weird Weird shit shit in the news news. is not in Texas, but a Texas man, uh, TSA officials find missile launcher in Texas man's luggage.
2: Oh, nice. My guy. Uh,
1: Right. Story by Vanessa Romo from NPR. Um, so yeah, he uh, apparently took a, a little jaunt to Kuwait on a little, his little holiday and he thought, you know, hey, I some kind of memento, you know, to remember it by. Uh, how about a missile launcher? That's a great memento. I'll take that back from Kuwait and bring it through customs and the TSA. Oh,
0: yeah. So my God.
1: Um, yeah, the TSA was a, it said no, uh, even though it was perfectly safe. It was decommissioned. No one was actually in any harm's way or anything. He, he could not keep it or take it away from and he should not have done that
2: um wow, wow, so yeah wow. that's
1: not uh not allowed
2: seems like a waste of everybody's time
1: true true so that's my weird shit
2: i did a lot of scrolling and didn't <laughs> i didn't find a lot
1: nothing was perfect that's fine it's all we don't need kind a, of it's
2: all very clickbaity
1: like, oh yeah Then
2: arrested with a stolen vehicle to, When he rode says. to jail Or something right. like that um, Anyway
1: Thanks for listening Thank y'all. you for
2: listening a- Thank you so so much
1: For waiting on us
2: For caring about us More and, or less
1: uh, Yeah uh, f- Follow our Stuff Cause if, Facebook, our, if our episodes Instagram, are delayed, We tell you
2: Um Twitter Hit Mario us up on Patreon 30, Get Patreon. some extra things And that's what all the cool kids do um, so
1: yeah. Okay,
0: bye. 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 Okay, wait. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well